and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. Each week I'll be talking to some incredible guests and I hope by hearing each episode they will offer you a valuable source of inspiration and insight. From incredible life stories to a variety of important subjects, all to help you with your quest to change your relationship with alcohol. All of my guests are at different points in their journeys and each of them have powerful and uplifting stories and information to share. I hope you enjoy the show. Don't forget to subscribe and of course, leave a review. My guest today on One for the Road is Scott Thomas, who was a former professional party boy who spent the best part of a decade throwing parties for a living. Over the years, Scott transitioned into a businessman after a successful appearance on Love Island back in 2016. And despite running one of the highest profile PR agencies, Scott has continued to struggle with his relationship with alcohol over the years. Back in 2020, Scott decided to go sober for 12 months and this was the start of the most transformative year of his life. And he's now using his story to inspire others and has become an influencer for self-development. I really enjoyed this conversation with Scott and I hope you do too. And don't forget, if you enjoy my podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Good morning, Scott. Welcome to my podcast, One for the Road. It's really lovely to see you, mate. We've been chatting on Instagram, whatever, but it's the first time we've uh, spoken face to face, isn't it? So, how are you doing? Oh, I feel privileged, mate. I can't believe I've got the call up from Big Sober Dave. I'm excited, <laughs> mate. And you know what, mate? Like, obviously, I've been watching your stuff, and when I um, when I got the big invite as well, I went and had a look at your profile in even more depth, and I just love everything you're doing. And there's one video up actually. Um, of you down in that pint. Um, And I really identified it because you mentioned about how you basically, you you were defined by being that crazy Dave. And that's something that I really kind of relate to in terms of my alter ego is a Scottish special, which I know we'll talk about. But that was um, something I really related to. And I think this is going to be a really healthy um, and entertaining conversation as well, because I like talking about um, the crazy times and everything as, as well. Yeah, because it, they weren't all bad, Scott, were they? You know, we've had some bloody laughs in our life and met some great people, but we've also had some terrible times and met some terrible people. And and it all balances out in the end and we grow a bit older and we want different things, don't we? So it gets to a point in your life, it's like, can I keep carrying on doing this? And you've, you've met a much younger part of your life that you've decided to stop. I was 54 when I stopped, you know. And uh, so I'm a little bit envious of you, but I can't do anything about that now. So I can only deal with what I've got at the minute. But, but Dave, why, why is it though when I meet up with my pals, and even now I'm sober like for 12 months plus, like my funniest times and my best memories are still when I was drunk. Like they are, like, and, and we laugh out loud to this day. And it's like sometimes, even though I'm enjoying being sober and stuff. I do question myself and go, will I have those crazy moments again? And will I have those memories again? And that's something that I'd love to talk to you about today, but it is interesting. Yeah, we can. Uh, We'll get into that later because I have my own ideas on that one. But, you know, this always starts off with uh, forming a profile of 
what your life's like and what led you to boozing and whatever. So what was it like for you growing up, mate? Growing up, I remember from the age of six, my family kind of discovered that I was really sharp. Um, my stepdad um, came into my life and he gave me this math- mathematics book um, because he wanted to see if I could deal with it because we were moving house and there was a private school across the road. And he gave it to me and Adam, my twin brother. And bless Adam, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. Very talented and very charismatic. But I just took to it like a duck to water. And I was identified from that moment as being the professor of the family. They used to call me the professor. And I went to this private school across the road from my, my house. Adam went to a different school. So straight away, as twins, we were kind of going down different routes. And I just remember really kind of reaping um, the rewards of being recognized for being smart and clever and a high achiever from an early age to the point I remember even in primary school, I would spend hours doing my homework like after school. And then I went, I took that into high school as well. And I went on to get like four A stars, five A's, three A's at A level, scholarship to the University of Manchester to do history. And I was just obsessed with living up to this reputation and this expectation as well. And I was, I always was all or nothing on my work and stuff. I didn't, I can't remember ever having much balance um, in terms of that. It was like, I was such a high achiever and I felt that pressure, I think. And that's something that I've obviously had the time to reflect on now, but I remember that growing up. And and it's funny how you, you can be completely different from your twin brother, isn't it? They, they excel in one area and you, you're in another. I don't, yeah, Adam was always like the funny one. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because I, all my life, uh, I was the golden child in my family. And both my brothers were kind of very naughty. My big brother, Ryan, he was four years older than us and he, he nearly got expelled from school, but both of them were into drama, right? So they both went to acting um, classes at the weekend and stuff because they were both class clowns, but they were really funny and entertaining and talented in that way. So I was a golden child all my life. And then, and I worked so hard in school and then both of them two at the age of 16 blew up and got roles in soaps. Um, Adam went into Waterloo Road. Ryan was in Coronation Street from the age of 16 and was really famous. Yeah, And I was like, wait a second, how's this happened? I've worked hard all my life. Yeah. These two, I've dosed about, and then they've both blown blown up. So I remember that kind of shifting at that age. So that was, that's, that was kind of a pivotal moment for me as well. How did it make you feel? At the time, I didn't really acknowledge that it made me feel any kind of way, if I'm honest. Um, because my brothers were always so supportive. Like Ryan took us everywhere with him. He was like, from the age of 16, he became like our father figure because my dad wasn't always around. Mm. so basically he took us everywhere I mean he was taking us out into Manchester with him he was 19 right in his prime in Coronation Street and he was taking his little brothers who were like 15 out with him in town to all his best spots like he just I think when you get famous from a young age you want your close people around you so he took us everywhere and I never felt left out or in competition and that's something that Adam took with him as well when he became famous like we went everywhere together we lived the dream together and I think they still looked up to me in their own way because oh, my, my brother's really smart. Like they used to always say, like, he's the smart one of the family. So I kind of had my own identity. But I think subconsciously, having two really famous brothers, I think there was an element of me going, what about me? Like, where's yeah. my line? Like, do you know what I mean? And then I think that's what led me to switch up my career path, going to university, studying history. Um, I was supposed to become a barrister and a lawyer to then suddenly becoming a professional party boy and throwing parties for a living. I think I was looking for that limelight. Yeah. 
what um stage of your life growing up did you sort of start drinking then was it when when you went out with your brothers and that oh dave it was well before that like all i've ever known from the age of 13 14 was we'd finish school on a friday we'd all rush home get together i used to chill with adam's mates from um kingsway school around here locally i didn't really spend much time socially with my my grandma's schoolmates i was in with the, the local lads and we just literally um, go and wait outside a shop, Dave. Wait for someone to go in and ask me, "Will you go in the shop for us, mate?" Yeah. And would have. And I remember from an early age, it started off like WKDs, Wicked's, and all that. But then the ritual was a quarter liter of vodka um, and a bottle of Fanta. That was what we had, and I had it for years and years. And so from the age of thirteen, fourteen, we were drinking on the streets. And I think it's actually scary to think how much my identity and my social skills have been so reliant on alcohol from an early age um, and don't get me wrong it escalated when we went into the when we got older in the nightclubs and everything else but from an early age like that was what we loved doing and it was so part of our culture everybody was doing the same thing it hasn't changed so mate because that, that's my story what i say is being up the shops hanging outside the off license saying to the adults like we had we used to find the money down the side of the sofas and stuff and then just say to him, well, can you get us a couple of cans of beer in that? And, and like, it shows their age difference, WKD. Ours was like bloody Fosters, which had no percentage now. I wouldn't even think about it when I was 20, Fosters, you know. But it was the start. And it was the start of me kind of finding this alter ego of this. I was a really shy kid. I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I wasn't streetwise either. Um, to then drinking to being the funny one. And then all my mates would go, oh, you're well funny, Dave, when you've had a drink and that. And that gave me the confidence. And I thought, well, I need to drink to be this this version of myself. Do you know what I mean? And and it just escalated, as you say. Yeah, I remember when I drank all my kind of, because I was such a high achiever from a young age, when I drank, nothing mattered. Mm. And it was kind of pure escapism for me. And I don't remember being out of control. It definitely got out of control like in my late 20s and everything else. But even as a kid, I remember it was pure escapism. And I don't think I became a different person as much back in the day. I must have done, though, because I was always like, I was always the entertaining one. Like, I had um, an amplified personality and I definitely drank for confidence, 100%, especially with girls. Like, for some reason, and even to this day, Dave, like, I got some kind of intimacy issue, right? Like, like letting girls in is so weird. And no wonder, because the only interactions I had with girls, like growing up, was when I was drunk. And yeah. that stayed even into my early 20s and stuff. Like, to the point now, going on dates sober and stuff and everything else is it's like a new world for me, right? Yeah. But because I've only, because it's almost like I was only giving them a version of me, not really the true version of me, if that makes sense. Hundred percent. Scotty special, they were getting, weren't they? Yeah, the Scotty special, and Scotty special was cool in so many ways, and he was the one that basically got me to where I was in terms of throwing the parties. Anything I do, Dave, I want to be the best at it. So if I'm throwing parties, I'm going to be the craziest guy in the room. I was notorious, Dave, for getting chucked out of my own nights, like <laughs> escorted out of it. Like I was dancing on tables. I was, I could get any party going, and I was a legend for it. I was a legend for it, but. As time went on, and I can't remember when this happened, I think it was like in my mid-20s when my mates started to grow up and 
everything else, my behavior wasn't as cool anymore. It wasn't as fun anymore. It was almost like, Scott, man, like we want to have a serious conversation now. We want to talk. You're not even there. You're not even. But I also think my body was basically saying, Scott, I'm going to keep punishing you now because you deserve more. Like, you're, like, it's almost like the anxiety and the responsibilities kind of were raised to, the, to kind of push me in the direction saying, Scott, if you want to reach your potential, I'm going to make these lows really bad for you now. That's how it felt like. It was like, because I, I remember going out there, even like a couple of years going to Loma, I had this amazing night out and I actually stayed at a nice level. But I woke up the next day and I was still full of anxiety. I went, there's a problem here because that was a good night. I didn't do anything wrong. But all through my um, teenage life and adult life, Dave, I mean, to be fair, I'm, I'm rambling here, but it was funny and I was the entertainer for so many years. But in my mid-20s onwards, I became a problem. I would become a completely different person. Um, I would say things I didn't mean. I'd be so unfiltered. I wouldn't ever want to go home. I would upset people. And you know what it was? I'd upset people just because I was completely different to who I was sober. People couldn't recognize me and it would upset people who actually cared about me. Yeah. yeah it's a Jekyll and Hyde, isn't it? But have you ever worked, because you do therapy and everything, don't you? So have you ever got to the bottom of why there was that flip from, you know, being a teen, early 20s of enjoying yourself, party boy, getting everyone together to then becoming angry, aggressive, because that's what I was like. I completely changed. My persona changed. And what I worked out was that I was frustrated with myself, angry who I'd become, and the drinking exacerbated that. So it was like the more I drank, the more annoyed I got with myself, the more I was looking for reaction, I would lash out at people. It, it completely changed me, my drinking. Do you know what? This is why I love conversations like this because just through having this conversation now, I just had a bit, a bit of a, an epiphany, right? Because I was thinking, the reason why I must have got frustrated and, and got angry and started to change was because I'm a people pleaser, right? I like to, I like recognition. It goes back to school. I like recognition from my teachers and, and my family. And basically, through being a crazy Scott, I made a living. It was cool. But as I got older, my nights were dying down and everybody else was growing up and people didn't want that from me anymore. And I was still drinking and my identity was wrapped up in that. I probably started to resent other people and myself because I wasn't getting the recognition for drinking anymore. So it was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Does that make sense? It was yeah, almost 100%. like, yeah, because I was a people pleaser. And for some reason, I was like, people used to say to me, go on, Scott, get drunk, get drunk. I drink and then they wouldn't like me. And I was like, well, you just told me to get drunk. You want me, you want the Scotty special. Everywhere I went, it was like, where's Scotty special? Is he coming out tonight? Yeah. Is Scotty special out tonight? Where is he? So I was almost living up to people's expectations, giving them what they wanted, but they didn't want it anymore. And yeah. I think that's where the problem was. Yeah, I relate to that. And that, that video you said you've seen with me drinking, right? We've been to the London Tattoo Convention all day and we had to buy like literally beer vouchers going in. They were like discs. And the, and the selection of booze was awful, like not my kind of thing, but they had this really dodgy cider there that was like 7.8%. So I was drinking that all day, and then we went into this boozer, and there were a load of Geordies there. And normally it'd be, come on, let's have an arm wrestle and all that, you know, like a bit of macho stuff, because they normally walk around with those shirts on the Geordies, didn't they? And uh, now we said, let's have a drinking competition. So I was the one that was put forward and the bet was to drink five pints of Stella in under five minutes 
right? Wow. And I drank five pints of Stella in four minutes, 12 seconds after about 12 pints of this 7.8% cider, right? And then I was pulled up later for being off my head. Like, it was like, come on, mate, sort yourself out and that. And it's like, well, you've goaded me to do this. Do you know what I mean? It's like, but it was almost like my whole identity was about me being the drinker. So your Scotty special, I was called Glugs because I could glug the beer down like there's no tomorrow. I could literally have 10 pints in an hour if pushed, you know. And then I was like the loud one and, you know, the one that got everyone going. But then they would all go home to their partners and that or, or like have a normal weekend where I would just carry on for the whole weekend. And I was the one on the Mondays, like, with the car crash around my lie. And they would be saying, oh, you was a right lad Friday. What did you do? Oh, well, went for a walk with a dog. And you know, it's like, what? What's going on here? Yeah, that's mad. Because even then when you said, you remember the exact time you did those four pints in. And even, like, because you're proud of it, right? At the time, you're probably something that you identified with. And Wayne Lineker from Ocean Beach comes up to me to this day and still says, Scotty, mate, no one's going to beat your record. You got chucked out of Ocean Beach IB for three times in one day. And it's almost like, when he said it to me, I'm almost like proud. Yeah. Because we glamorized, and as a culture, we glamorize being the ultimate lad. And the ultimate yeah. lad drinks and drinks, and I can stay out the latest, and is the top glugger, as they call you. Yeah. And looking back in hindsight, like I see people now coming out, of like hotels the next day when I can see that they're still drunk or they've not been to bed. And that was me so many times. And they're on the phone and they're talking. You can see they're almost like, yeah, I'm a lad. And I'm like, look at them going, do you know what? In the night, and I'm not here to pass judgment on people, but I just think there's so much more to life than glamorizing that. Yeah. And I think, do you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's for so long. And I think times are starting to change now. I really do. I don't think the youngsters are glamorizing it as much as we did in our culture. But I think there's just so much more to life than that. And I was so identified by being Scottish special. And what happened was, like I said, other people had families, girlfriend, responsibilities that they could, that would force them to stop and to go home. Whereas with me, I was a bit of a lone ranger and I, I had no reason to go home and stop. My job was to party. My yeah. job was to party. So why would I go home? Why would I stop? Why would I change? Because that's who I was. And it took every ounce and every strength in my body to make that shift and and i'm so glad i did but wow i'm i've gone from being a professional party boy dave to now being the founder of my own wellness brand and it, it just goes to show like you can break down that identity and you can force a new one but it, it's hard when you're in it it is hard mate and, and it's hard you sometimes have to reach a load of rock bottoms to really see you know and sometimes you don't reach a rock bottom you just think you know what i don't want to do this anymore but with you, was it all social drinking or did you ever drink at home? All social, Dave. Never drank on my own. Yeah. Never. Never drank on my own. Uh, I never had to, I never even liked the taste of alcohol, really, Dave. I would never choose to have, like, oh, I really fancy a nice G&T. Like, yeah. I wouldn't ever drink to have one, Dave. I was all or nothing. And, and that's the funny thing because when I, I went sober for 12 months in 2020, and then I thought, right, I don't want to be the boring sober guy. That's how I always defined it. Yeah. So I went back drinking again and I thought, right, I can moderate. And, I, and do you know what, Dave? I could moderate. I could go out and have two drinks, but I got nothing out of it. I was like, why have I done that? I just put poison in my body. If anything, 
it made me worse because I go home after that two two drinks, and it was like the next day I'd be looking right now. I need to go for a big one. That wasn't enough. So then I realised there was something within me where it was all or nothing. And over those two years, I didn't drink often, but when I did, the lows were really bad, and I knew that I still didn't have control. So there was an underlying root cause that was making me drink. And and I just had Ollie Ollerton on my podcast, and he said something really great. He said I didn't have a drink problem. I had a problem that was making me drink. Yeah. Uh, that's such a really smart way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, 100%. He, he, he's a great lad and he's been on my podcast as well. And he was on a live with me the other night and he does have these nuggets. Uh, and we're doing the event, aren't we? Uh, at the end of the month where we're both speaking and that, and I feel quite honored to be uh, next to you and him and some other great people at the event and that. And, you you hear these things. I mean, I, I mentioned one that uh, Denzel Washington that you like uh, that that helped you um, get sober, wasn't it? Um, and we hear these little nuggets of things, and sometimes they can just be a light bulb moment, can't they? It's like stops you in your tracks. Um, I think what does he say? To achieve something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done, right? And we all go through life thinking, like for me, I'll give you an example of me. I drank for 40 years, right? Now, you're 35 years old. So I, my drinking career, as we say, was 40 years, four decades. And my 40s, I don't even remember because I was so drunk throughout my 40s, I, I just blacked out, which is a whole decade of my life that is gone, right? And I can't claw that back. But when I look back at it, I... The only way for me to get over that is by thinking I've had to go through all of that to get where I am today. So I wouldn't be the man I am now if I hadn't have experienced all of that. And I probably wasn't ready then, Scott, either. You know, I wasn't ready to stop because it wouldn't have worked. So timing is really important. And for you, you've gone through all this massive party boy thing. You've been on Love Island and you're not the worst looking bloke I've ever seen, to be fair. <laughs> and you know, I'll that day. yeah, yeah, and you're a lad, you know, you're, you're a, a lovable rogue and whatnot. And and but there's a point in your life that you, you've you know, those statements that have just been made there by Denzel, you love him, don't you? And it's like they can they can plant a seed in your head that can be that light bulb moment. And I, I think what I've heard in other interviews, it changed things for you hearing that, yeah. So I used to listen to motivational speakers on the way to the gym every Monday morning. Because, Dave, right, I would live quite a healthy lifestyle. Even when I was being a party boy, I'd train every day. I'd eat avocado, eggs, and salmon every day. and But then I'd go to the weekend and go missing for two days. And I'd tell myself every single weekend, Scott, you're not doing this this weekend. You're gonna, this is going to be a weekend that you change. And then every Monday morning, I'd find myself battered, drained, no sleep, hungover. And I'd be driving to the gym, trying to motivate myself. And the one quote and the one um, clip that really always got me was Denzel Washington. And he'd be talking. It's like a 10-minute clip. And I'd listen to it every day. I used to goosebumps. Yeah. And you say, and he kept saying, to achieve something you never had, you have to do something you never done. I was like, I need to stop drinking. I need to stop drinking. I have to. But I couldn't do it. Because, one, like you said, you have to be ready. And unfortunately, sometimes it 
it takes a lot of people to take rock bottom, which I did in order to make me change. But I knew deep down that I had to stop drinking, but I couldn't because I felt the pressure to, to live up to my identity and also the pressure of the culture that I was surrounded by and everything else. But deep down, I knew the, the reason why it resonated with me so much and I got goosebumps because I knew that that was going to change my life if I could mm. do that. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom. I basically, I, over time, after Love Island, I launched my own PR agency and, and I had a really good career in PR. I built a really strong business, had some amazing clients. And my drinking had always affected my social life day, but it hadn't affected my business and my success, right? When I was partying, it fueled it because it made me even more successful. And one thing I realized, Dave, with me, success and reaching my goals and my potential means more to me than anything else. It really does. Like, I'm so driven and I'm ambitious. I don't know where it comes from. I just am. I think it goes back to from being a kid. Yeah. Um, so basically, this one time, I went to my work event, this chairman's luncheon for one of my big clients at the Mayfair Hotel in London. And we had such an amazing year that year for the client. And they were on stage talking about the social PR and how amazing they were. And I basically turned up pretty much still drunk from the night before. I carried on drinking because I was so disgusted with myself. And I ended up like almost just upsetting so many people at the event just by being loud and raucous. And I ended up getting escorted out. And my business partner at the time, we had, and by the way, I had such a good year that year. But my business partner at the time looked at me in disgust. The whole team knew about it. And, my, and I nearly lost my biggest client. And I just woke up and went, how can I have such an amazing year and one moment just undoes all my hard work because of drinking? And I felt I was full of anxiety because I knew this was the moment where the first time ever my drinking had affected my business, my success, and it affected relationships and affected other stuff. But this was like, my business partner was threatening to leave me and, and my client was threatening to cancel the, the retainer with us and everything else. So I flew out to Abu Dhabi on my own and because I already had the holiday kind of like planned and booked in my mind. And I remember listening on the beach to Denzel Washington over and over again. But this time when I was listening to it, I was like, ooh, I'm ready. And it, and it's sad because I didn't really have another option, if I'm honest, Dave. If I didn't change then, I would start to lose things in my life. Mm. Um, and do you know what's mad, Dave? Like, I was bad, right? I was bad. I was bad, but... I was worse because of the way that I dealt with it. So, for example, if I went out and was still crazy Scott and then was okay with it the next day, I don't think the people around me would have been as, like, worried. But because I would go out, Dave, and I would hate myself the next day, other people would almost... I was trying... Because sometimes I think, I wasn't actually that bad. You're a bit, people might say, Scott, Jesus, mate, you were just a bit louder than I. Oh, you're a bit crazy. It wasn't that bad. But it's the way that I just knew what I was worth because I didn't like myself, it almost made other people think I was worse than I probably was, I think, if I'm honest. Yeah. Don't wrong, I was bad, but because I made such an issue, I can't believe what I did last night. I hate myself. I did yeah. this and that. I became a bit of a big problem. And there's a, there's plenty of people, Dave, who have been chucked out of a work event. There's plenty of people who have like, made mistakes at work. But for me, I just knew my potential and I didn't want to be defined as Junk Scott, the idiot, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. And we all got core values as well, haven't we? So, so when we, we put on this act, I always look at it like for me, I was several roles in my life. I wasn't just one. So your alter ego was the party boy, right? 
Mm. Mine was Glucks, but I also shapeshifted around many situations, many different people. I would put on a different outfit for that event or that person and whatnot. But a lot of the time it's because I didn't even know I was because I got pissed from 14 years old. So I went through life with that identity of being that person who loves a drink. And I even envisaged my gravestone would be he loved a drink in inverted commas, you know, and I thought that'd be quite cool when I'm dead. And it's like, what am I thinking? Like I'm literally thinking about my bloody tombstone with that engraved on the thing. Do you know, it was like madness and that, you know, and, but also with, with our identity, it really makes it difficult to stop drinking because then we stand there and we don't know what our identity is without it. So when you say about your social life is based all around partying and, and the Scott, when you stop that, it's like, how do your mates see you? How do you see you? Like, how do you go out and try and enjoy that environment? when you remove the one thing that gives you the confidence to enjoy that environment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting you said that Dave. I, I fully relate with that. I did not know who I was. And if I'm honest, I'm still figuring it out now. I'm the closest I've ever been to knowing that, but it took me years, Dave. I didn't, like you said, I didn't know who I was because I would never spend those times alone with myself. I was always running away from myself. That's why I was always last man standing. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to sober up. Like, I, I was running away from myself and I don't know why. Um, I think it's because I didn't like myself very much because I knew what I was capable of. I knew like even before I went sober, I was recording videos of me talking about sobriety and stuff because I knew that this was what I was meant to be doing. Like I could feel my potential. I could see it. I could see myself on stage a little bit like Tony Robbins one day. Like, and it's funny because we're about to do this event together. All these things that I, I could see and envision like, and even having food for thoughts down the wellness plan, like these are all things that I knew I was capable of. And I think because I wasn't living up to it, that's why I was running away from myself all the time. And I think the biggest lesson my therapy, um, my therapist ever gave me was, and you just get comfortable being in your own skin Mm. and spending time on your own. And I used to finish work, Dave, even when this, when I was still drinking and I'd be, I remember the way home from work, I'd be looking at, um, Places to go. Could have gone and see my family. Could have gone and see my family. I did not want to come to the house on my own. Did not want to, did not want to be on my own. And I remember actively having to force myself to go home and spend time on my own. And it was the best thing I ever did, Dave. Guess what? Now I prefer being on my own than being around other people. Because you're comfortable in your own skin. So it's incredible. And, and you know, a lot of people drink because they don't feel enough. You know, I, I know Marissa Peer and she's a global speaker and she's amazing. And she was a guest on my podcast. And and wow. the, the mantra is, is that, um, are you enough? Right. So if you, the Scotty now sitting in front of me, if I said to you, do you feel like you're enough? You, you might say to me, well, there's room for improvement here. There's always room for improvement. Right. But if I was to go back to that, mid 20s onwards scotty like did you feel enough then no not at all not at all and it's something that i battle with all the time now um because i know i am enough but do i fully feel it all the time no am i on my way to to acknowledging that and 
being proud of myself, yes. But 100%, back then, I was, oh, no. I had no self-love, no pride in who I was. Um, I was, I was, you know what, Dave? I was surrounded by successful people as well. Soap stars, celebrities, millionaires, business owners, footballers. Do you know what? Even looking back now, and this is why these conversations are great, like, no wonder I didn't feel enough. No wonder I was drinking. I was living a, a charade of, amongst all these people and trying to keep up and catch up with these people when no wonder I didn't feel enough. Um, also, um, your two brothers found fame at 16. Yeah. You know, so it could have started there where you as the intellectual one and it's like, hold on, they're mega famous now and where am I on this, you know? And and that makes us try and be something else than what, what we're not. And when I say I feel enough now, that isn't through my success or anything like that. That's me waking up in the morning, stroking my beautiful little chihuahua rose and saying, do you know what? I feel really content in my life. Uh, and it and it's got nothing. Oh no, like your dog heard about my my dog. It's like what? You, what about me? Great <laughs> <laughs> timing. Yeah, thing. yeah. But do you know what? I wake up with. I'm really, really content in my life. How long have you been sober for, Dave? Well, in two days' time, five years. There we go. I think that is the journey that I'm on. I couldn't sit here now and tell you that I wake up every morning and I feel content and I'm enough. I, I don't. I'm on my way. I'm miles better than I was. Yeah. Um, I, that's where I want to get to. And I say that to people. People ask me all the time, are you happy now that you're sober? Eh? Uh, not really. Like, like in terms of, is my life better? Yes. Am I fully happy? No. Like, it's not easy. It's not easy all the time. Am I going to be happy one day, like, through the work and the commitment I've made to this lifestyle, 100% I know I'm going to be. But I'm on a journey. I'm working things through and yeah. everything else. But it doesn't happen overnight. And I think people automatically go, oh, you're dead happy now. You're sober. Like, nah. It, no. It's not. Uh, honestly, I, 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 if you were to say to me, what were you like? Because have you just celebrated a year? Yeah, that's right. Right. Because you started again, didn't you? You stopped in 20. Yes. Yeah started drinking but you're back on it now and you're just over a year i think but would i say this though dave right because the first year i went sober i did it to prove to myself and other people that i could do it i didn't actually do the work so for me there's two ways of going sober there's one doing a period of time which i did right yeah. i'm not going to go here i'm going to train all the yeah, time yeah, yeah. i'm not going to live my life i'm not going to do this and i'm just going to get to the year and after the year i'll probably explode uh, I didn't explode, but I kind of did slowly but surely because I didn't really learn any skills. Whereas this year has been tough because I've gone, right, I've got to, I'm making this a decision potentially for life now. So I've got to acquire these skills. I've got to go to these social events. I've got to um, like go on sober dates. I've got to do all these things that I probably swerved and missed out on. That's why this year has been so difficult. And do you know what, Dave? It's been difficult because when you're sober, you don't take any shit. You know exactly what you want. And you're super clear, right? So I've been having to deal with every problem that's come. Any problem that comes to surface, it has to be dealt with, whether it's in business, personal life. And it's been so tough this year because I've just been right. Can't work with that person. Needs to sort this out. Uh, I'm not having her in my life. I'm not doing. And it's been like, like way back. It's been tough, but wow, I know going into next year, I'm going to be in such a stronger position. Yeah. 
Yeah, I love that actually because there's no good, it's no, it's being a dry drunk in a way is just clocking up the days, right? And thinking, oh, I've done 67 days, but you're not doing any work. You're just looking at the calendar, right? And you have to do the work. I believe there's a bit in the beginning that you just, it's like learning to drive. You have to learn the skills of not drinking, how to go to the odd social event and how to sit with your own feelings and whatnot. But then comes the emotional sobriety where you've learned how to avoid situations, what to say to your mates, how to manage life in general when you've had a crap day and you go home and the easy solution is to have a few drinks and whatnot. But it's the emotional sobriety, I believe, is when you need some support, whether it's a therapist or you find the right community. But if you just said to me, what was you like a year in? I'd have said exactly the same as you. Because it was almost like I was being spun around in circles because there, it was really overwhelming for me because my social media was growing. Um, I was trying to help people. I was trying to manage my own life. There were a million things after 40 years of using this drug to blot out a million things. So it all felt really overwhelming for me. <clears throat> but gradually, you get into year two changes year three it changes year four it changes you know and you start it starts to become your way of life on a daily basis where you don't really think about it and now the odd thing might come up like the romanticizing of drinking I, I was with my girlfriend before christmas and and there was the perfect scenario mate for me it was in lincoln cobbled streets saturday afternoon about one o'clock and i walked down these cobbles and on the left hand side there was this little pub with um candle lit couple in the window and there was a doorman and i thought oh my god i would eat that for breakfast go in there i'll be five pints down by two for a nice burger and chips and that and then it'd be oh so we hunker down here then and what people watch for the window do you know what i mean and that's after five years like and it's like what am i doing but it this is why you can never be complacent about it i just did a podcast with spencer matthews now and he's he said he's now drinking again and he said i could have one glass of champagne now with bogan holiday and i was like fair play that's amazing but i just know over time for me that would eat that once the door is open on that one situation or scenario it would be end open for other scenarios and situations that's what happened to me as well i started to see i've seen it with so many of my mates dave who have stopped drinking like me, gone back drinking. They go, yeah, I'm all right. I'm just thinking. And I see it slowly but surely. They go, yeah, I'm just drinking on occasion and this and that. But no, once the door's open for people, for certain type of people, it will creep back in quite quickly. I'm glad you've acknowledged that because I listened to that podcast, right? And my friend Millie was on it and I thought she was fantastic, actually. And I could hear the banter between you and Spencer. And uh, you said, you know, I, I would like to get where you are one day. Uh, and I'm, I'm aware as well that could have been in the moment of the interview and whatnot. And I thought, you know what? It's almost like going against the grain of what you're all about. Because um, you're an entrepreneur. You're doing really well in life. You're present with yourself. You've got your girlfriend now and stuff. And you've got great ambition for the future. Um, and it's almost like... Uh, it sounds to me you're a little bit confused in your sobriety at the moment of where you want to be. Yeah, so I am, if I'm completely honest. I am confused, um, especially when 
people like I, who I look up to, like Spencer Matthews in the sober space and what he's done with his business and what he's achieved and how he's raised awareness. To see him go back now and say, well, I've achieved this, I've done this. And if I want to have a drink, I'll have a drink. I don't have all the answers, Dave. So it gives me a different alternative to look forward to, right? And what I've realized now is this year, if I did say to myself, I'm not drinking for good now. I said that because I knew it would change my mindset around acquiring social skills, going to different situations. If I think it's like um, for an infinite amount of time, then I'm going to work harder. I'm going to do the work. Whereas I think it's a year, like you're saying, you shut things off. But what do I, do I know what the future holds? Do I want to drink? Would it be easier to drink in, um, for the people around me or whatever else? Like I, for example, Dave, the best summary I can give for this is I went on holiday recently. I remember sitting in this bar and I was surrounded by drinking alcohol and the old Scott would be so tempted to drink. Would want to drink. I sat in that bar, Dave, and I did not want the alcohol. I did not want the drink, but there was something missing in me. There was something where I felt like I was missing out or there was a level of control and it wasn't the alcohol, right? It was the fact that I couldn't be fully switched off and present in the back of my mind. All my businesses were running around. Everything was running out. I couldn't just be me. I couldn't like, whereas the one thing that I got from alcohol was I just didn't give a shit about anything or anyone. And it's not the alcohol that I'm chasing. It's how do I get to that point where I can just be fully relaxed and being. And so the idea of one day being able to drink and just to relax, it's, it's, um, a fantasy. <laughs> a fantasy. Yeah, it, may, it might it be a, a fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, it's a fantasy. But I also don't have the answer of how to get to that point. So I leave that fantasy alive, right? I leave it alive for me. But I do also know that what it is, and it, it's essentially potentially a, a fantasy. But I do believe, fully believe, that I will get to the point where I can fully relax and switch off and tune out. It takes time, mate, and it takes lots of work with therapy and stuff. And all I say, you know, when you say, you know, you look up to Spencer and that, and if he can manage that successfully, fair play to him. But I know that the statistics show that less than 5% of people that have developed uh, a poor relationship with alcohol cannot do that. And and all the people that I've spoken to and worked with as well cannot do that. And I say, you know, if you can have a drink and then go and have a cup of tea and watch a film and not even think about having another drink, then maybe you can do that. But if you can't, then don't entertain it. So for me, when I, when I listened to that podcast and I heard you say that, I wanted to put my arm around you and say, Scott, come over here, mate. I want a little chat because you're wasting your time with that seed in your brain going, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day, because that'll hold you back. I think it's making it a non-negotiable. You're really ambitious. Um, you're good at what you do. And I think by having that little seed of maybe I drink, maybe I won't, is quite a dangerous thing for your sobriety personally. And for me, my mantra was it's an absolutely non-negotiable from now. Because don't get me wrong, mate, um, and I always admit it, I loved getting pissed. I loved it because I could forget all the problems. I could forget this time of year, the brown envelope with a tax man written on it and all oh, your tax returns due. And it's like, you know, oh, I have a terrible day and I think, oh, do you know what? Just a few drinks. Again. But what I'm saying is that is not the solution. That's a temporary solution, very short lasting solution. And then they come back tenfold, don't they? 
And then it's not just that either. It doesn't stop there with the one drink, does it? Because then next time you think, oh, well, I, I can do it now. I can manage it. And we've got to remember it's a, a highly addictive drug that plays tricks constantly on our mind where we romanticize alcohol and we think, you know, the romanticizing of what Spencer does there is like he can have the glass of champagne is where a lot of people will go, do you know what? Yeah, that sounds nice, but I can't do that. And and so I suppose it's the giving it closure in a way. Yeah. Are those the statistics, Dave? Yeah, I didn't know that. Is it 5%? Less than 5%? Less than 5%. Wow. Yeah, and to be honest, Dave, like, I think it's a really good point to make, if I'm honest, because there is a seed in me that almost thinks, I even say when people go, well, drink, you'll have a drink again. I went, I don't know. I said, I want to reach my potential. I want to get to build my businesses and whatever else. Because for me, one of the biggest driving factors, Dave, of me stopping drinking was to reach my potential and to be successful. And that was one of the main reasons and also to... Because it, it's an interesting one for me, Dave. I wasn't drinking every day. Do you understand? I wasn't drinking every day. I wasn't um, a stereotypical alcoholic in that sense. I basically made a change because I wanted to, because I felt like alcohol was stopping me from getting where I wanted to get to. So when I idealised about that, I think it's because of those reasons. However, what I'm starting to now from being sober is all what I'm starting to experience is all the other stuff going, oh, wait, I know who I am now. Oh, I've got better relationships with people. Oh, that's so all the other things start to go around with. In actual fact, when I first started to go sober, they was like, wait a second. If you want to get here, you're not going to get here by doing that. But I think over time, I'm starting to experience going, oh, right, there's, there's deeper meaning to this sobriety than what yeah. I actually started out for. And that's why they call it a journey, isn't it? Mm. You know, it, you're on a path now. And when I say you're confused, that's not a criticism. That's an observation. Oh, I am confused. No. 100% day. I'm, yeah. I'm, I hope hands up. I'm, I'm confused. And I think any, I've seen it a million times. Anybody goes sober, it's confusing. Like until you get to a certain point, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. And, and do you know what? The statistics are high as well. The amount of entrepreneurs as well that don't drink now. And I think you, you know, Stephen Bartlett, don't you? Uh, mm. and he doesn't drink now because it holds you back, doesn't it? It's like, <laughs> When you think about a Monday morning, right, if you've been out on, on a couple of nights out, how you present yourself at work compared to now when you haven't been drinking, it's a completely different ball game, isn't it? Oh, Dave, I don't function or work. Like, if I if I drank, I would literally be in work on the Monday, but I wouldn't even – I'd just be ticking boxes. And as an entrepreneur, you can't tick boxes. You need to have that creativity flow. And you need to be thinking outside the box. Like I call it like the limitless pill. When you're when you go sober, uh, especially in business and your work life or anything that you're doing, like it's like taking the limitless pill. You're like, oh my god, like I'm not even been using this part of my brain, and I'm so much more productive, more high energy. But the, that's my biggest problem, though. Dave, it's almost like, and I've, I've also had um, a test recently for ADHD, which of. Um, I think anybody who's had it before has always told me, Scott, you've got ADHD. And I never really thought there'd be any kind of benefits to, to understanding it, but I'm starting to understand it now. Um, that I live constantly in fight or flight mode, constantly. Everything's urgent. Need it now. 
Like, do you know what I mean? I mean, I'm even on this podcast, I'm enjoying it, but I'm thinking, I've got 20 million things to do after this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think that's why, um, I think that's, that's why I hold this fantasy in my head. To switch of, it off. I need yeah. to switch it off. And I'm the yeah. same, mate. Even now, like I wake up at four o'clock most mornings, right? And the second I wake up, I'm on it. Like I'm literally, my brain is whirring around and around and around. And people think it's a buzzword to say the ADHD thing around addiction. But I don't. I think it's an actual symptom of addiction because we're massive overthinkers. You know, we're huge people pleasers as well. Like we're, most people I talk to are people pleasers and, and it's like fidgeting and like, there's so many things like, and by the end of the day, we're so overwhelmed by this spinning millions of plates in our head that I always describe it as like walking in from a, a hard day's work and there's some bloody song on the radio you hate, right? And having a drink is you turn it off. Oh, thank God I ain't got to listen to that, right? You have a big drink. But then later on in the evening, like you're different because you socially drank. With me, I drank indoors. But for me, later on in the evening, it's like someone come and turned it back on and started turning it louder and louder and louder because the drink was only a short-term fix for me. It would it would quieten things down in the beginning, but then later on in the evening, or I might wake up at three in the morning and it was 10 times worse. So it, I identified it as being a, a short-term fix, which... You know, for me, it was like, why am I sacrificing hours of my day for an hour's worth of drinking, like to turn it off? And and mm -hmm. it made more sense to me that I just got to completely cut it out of my life, like I'm allergic to it, like a nut allergy. That if if I drink now, it'll all go bandy. And yeah, that's that's interesting because I always say like for. Stop focusing on what you're missing out on when people are going sober and focus on what you're going to gain. So in exchange for a few hours of craziness with my boys, I got a fresh morning, better skin, better sleep, more productivity, a more successful business, everything else. Well, Dave, I've got a question for you. So it sounds like me and you are cut from like slightly different costs in terms of you were drinking on your own at night yeah. um, to cope with your, like, with your, I don't know, your overthinking and whatever it was you were missing. I could go two weeks, three weeks, a month without drinking, but then it'd be like some kind of explosion. Like, so would you define me as an alcoholic? And would you still say that we're, we're cut from the same cloth in terms of why we drank? Does that make sense? Like, because I'm interested because yeah, yeah. my mum my, my stopped drinking and then I say to my my mum goes, oh, I couldn't drink Scott if I, because you drank two, two bottles of wine every single night. But I said, Mum, you're different to me because you drank every day. She went, no, I'm not different, Scott. Like, you are still an alcoholic. Like, she do. And I'm, I'm really interested to see your opinion on that. I don't personally like the word alcoholic because it slaps no. a label on you straight away, right? And some people like that label and it helps them. But for me, I don't like that label. I, I look at it that um, no matter how often you drink or how much you drink, if alcohol becomes a problem in your life if it affects you then it's a problem whatever you drink or whenever you drink right mm. so and we're all different because say for instance you and me drank a bottle of wine a night our relationship with that bottle of night could be completely different so we're never going to be the same it could be based on your childhood on who you are as a person if you're ambitious mine become accumulative over the years that 
I wasn't getting what I wanted out of socialising anymore because I knew I was pissing a lot of people off. Um, so I started to drink indoors and I was drinking away my feelings then over a lifetime of bad decisions, bad choices. So my relationship become solitary with boozing and it quite often goes that way. You're only 35, you know, and if you hadn't stopped now, you don't know by the time you reach your forties and that you might start to have the old drinking doors and then think, well, this is actually bad because I'm not being judged here and there's no one watching me from the media and stuff like that. Well, you know what? All my, all my pals were at a similar age to me with the families and stuff. They all know. I don't like going out drinking. I just like to be at home. Like, a lot of them are yeah. saying that. But when you start introducing it at home, that's when it really ramps up because you can pass out on the sofa. You're free pouring as well. So you're not, you're not keep going up to the bar. You're just pouring it in the glass and drinking it, right? So it doesn't really matter how different we are drink was obviously a problem for you and drink was a problem for me whether you what like that label alcoholic or not it's a problem and if it affects your daily life your health your mental and physical health you know for me my my cholesterol my blood pressure was sky high my heart rate was fast i put on loads of weight and and i was a mess so that was through the progression but what I'm hoping is for you, Scott, is that you've nipped it in the bud now. And with the therapy and talks like this and being at events where you can talk about your development, that you will start to think, you know what? That idea of maybe it would be nice to drink one day will soon diminish and then it will come a non-negotiable that you are living your life like you are the true, authentic Scott and be really, really happy with that. Yeah, 100%. And I think I'm on my way to that, Dave. I really do. But I think, like, even, like, with um, the name of my podcast well, Learning As I Go, like, I'm just learning as I go and being honest and raw and just... Yeah. Well, because if I was sitting and go, that's it, guys. I'm never drinking again. I'm fully happy. This and that. Like, yeah. it wouldn't be a fair reflection. Like, I want to get to that point and I want to be there. And um, I'm on that journey to get there, so... I, I hear you, mate, and I listened to your episode the other day when you was on your own and you were brilliant on it. And I urge people to listen to that because I thought you was really intelligent and articulate about how you felt. And this no. isn't me trying to persuade you to do it. This is me to maybe point out that that's where I've got as well and it's been the best thing I've ever done. And it is a – I don't know why I have a problem with the word journey because I always say it in an American in my head when I go, journey. But, <laughs> You know, it is a journey and, um, yeah, you find your way and you have to find your way on your own. You know, that that's all part of it. Dave, and, something I'm interested in, obviously you're five years sober. Like, how do you switch off that brain of yours and what do you do to chill and relax? Like, when do you find peace without drink? Um, well, it'd be easy to say I climb mountains, which I do. But um, do you know what? I love a good film. Uh, and I, I will hunt one down. I, I saw uh, one the other night, Flowers of the Killer Moon, which went on for about 16 years. Uh, it, it was an absolute epic film, but I, I find by watching a good film or something, I really stop to think about things, and I have to put my phone in the other room, otherwise I'm always checking <laughs> my phone, and, you know, I lose track of that. Uh, I'm not a great reader, but I love where I live in the middle of nowhere. I love... Uh, walking my dog, spending time with my girlfriend. Uh, normal things in life, nothing extravagant, but I've had to adapt to life without that either really high 
of the going out mad crazy or the really lows of the hungover mornings and whatever, I've found a kind of a balance where I'm quite content. And if I do have a bit of a bad day, I'll just accept it as a bad day. And and that's where I am with it. It's almost like I've grown up. I, I'm not see- seeking these huge highs and lows in life. And that's why I feel quite balanced, really. Oh, that, that's what I got. I got a tattoo on my arm, balance. That's yeah. the word that I'm looking for. It's my first ever tattoo. I got it a few months ago because um, I feel like I'm finally on my way. I think that's something I've got used to, Dave, is just living here. Yeah. Not feeling like I have to live up here all the time. Yeah. And I've got still got self-sabotage behaviors. Again, something I talk to with all the other time. It's almost like I find comfort in being either really high or really low. <laughs> and I find it really difficult to stay in here. Well, that's and learned that's got- behavior as well, being like mm-hmm. that. You know, living a life like that of really high and low is learned behavior and it's breaking that thing. And, and then living a life where you're comfortable with the mediocre sometimes. And when you're people pleasing, when you're always searching that high and low, that can seem boring, mm. can't it? It's like, oh, why do I want to like put me a flipping barber jacket on and walk around a lanes in where I lived yeah but it's actually you really can feel nurtured by doing that because you've let go of that learned behavior from the past and that and you adapt we all adapt don't we we all grow and move and adapt to life and that and it, and it's seeing it through a different lens I think I look at life in a completely different lens to five years ago I'm a totally different person inside not by my achievements, but inside, I just think, look at life totally differently now, which is wonderful for me. Yeah, amazing, Dave. Well, you're an inspiration to me, Dave. And this conversation has really helped me as well. And it's, um, I'm glad that you identified just some of those kind of question marks in my head and a little bit of confusion because that's something I want to be honest about. And I think yeah. anybody's going sober now, especially people who are about, I mean, I class myself as two years sober now because, like I said, the first time, was kind of just to prove I could do it. The second time is where I've done the real work. Yeah. And I think anybody who's at the, around this point will be experienced the same confusion and will yeah. be fantasizing about certain elements. And I think that's normal. That's part of it. And, it is um, part of it. Because yeah. you have to experience that to grow, and move on, don't you? So, mm. but Scott, I know you're a busy man and I really, really appreciate your honesty in this podcast. And I've really loved it as well. And I get to meet you soon. Uh, you'll be running that 10 K. I'll be walking it with my Zimmer frame. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really look forward to meeting you at the event, mate. And, and yes. that's, uh, in, near Gatwick, isn't it? And um, the links from my bio, uh, the 28th of Jan, Pippingford Park. That's it. Um, we're doing the run, obviously powered by Breakpoint, which is all the Ellerton's, um, amazing community and brand and it's all for a great cause as well and yeah i want to see everybody down there we're going to basically yeah. celebrate finishing dry january on a high yeah and i think ollie said it as well before usually we do dry jan and then we just go out and get steaming celebrate yeah. so yeah what better way to finish um the dry month by doing something healthy and productive and feel good so a big uh, a nice run you can go at your own pace and then obviously it's going to be the event after with people like myself you dapper laughs um, Paul Morton and a few other people talking. So it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, getting the community together as well and seeing there is a life about the booze and that. And it's Ralph Cold Change UK. And uh, the links are on our bios and that if you want to come along and meet us and 
enjoy the day so thank you so much mate thank you Scott uh, lovely to see you and I'll see you in the end of the month thank you so much mate legend see you later mate cheers mate bye I really hope you enjoyed the show today don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for further support you can buy my book One for the Road on Amazon and you can also follow me on Instagram at Sober Dave Please remember to join me for next week's episode. Until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.